We've been talking about what has caused this coronavirus. I've had people write to me and say, you say it's Kenneth Copeland, you say it's T.D. Jakes, you say it's Joyce Myers and Creflo Dollar. You even say that it was Billy Graham and it was that it was Charles Stanley. <laughs> the thing is, God tells Israel when they are coming out of Egypt. When they're coming out, he says, if you go after other gods, I will send four judgments. I'll send the sword. I'll send the famine. I'll send the pestilence. And then I'll send the beast. Usually the famine and the pestilence went together. Pestilence was disease. Is the coronavirus a disease? Well, I guess it is. It's killing people. And the famine was starvation, starve, when they would go after other gods. Where this really started with Israel was Ahab. When Ahab married Jezebel, Jezebel was from just above Israel, a place called Tyre and Sidon. That is what we call Lebanon. And Ahab married the prince of Tyre's daughter, that was Jezebel. And what she did, she brought her father's gods out of Tyre, Baal, and the grove, and they implemented those into Israel in the in the sixteenth chapter of First Kings. And Ahab raised up; he raised up temples for Baal and the grove. Baal was the sun god; the grove was the tree goddess, or the Christmas tree. You can find that over in Jeremiah ten and Isaiah and Isaiah forty. For or everywhere you find the word grove, that is the tree goddess. The Baal was the sun god and it had many generic names. Hercules, Jupiter, uh, Attis, uh, and the list goes on and on. All the male sun deities was the same thing as Baal. All the tree deities were identified with the moon. So Israel keeps going after these gods for 500 years. And God gets fed up with Israel, and Israel was split into two nations because of Solomon's apostasy. That happened in the, in the 11th chapter of 1 Kings. 1 Kings. 1 Kings 11. So God says, I've had all this... He said, I got fed up with northern Israel with Ahab. So he scatters them and they stay involved in all the gods of the world. And it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies over time. And Israel goes after all the gods of the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. And then it moves on into New Testament. It's the apostasy apostasy of the church now there's there is a word 
that will tell you what this is all about and it's going on in the churches today. Kenneth Copeland and Fred Price and Creflo Dollar and Joyce Myers and T.D. Jakes, they are the icing or the cherry on top of the icing on the cake. God got fed up with Israel back here for going after other gods. He's fed up with the world and he says at the end of time there will be a great apostasy. He told Israel in Deuteronomy the 28th chapter as they were leaving Egypt and as they were coming to cross the Jordan River he said if you go after these other gods and they did he said I will scatter you with the beast with Babylon Persia Greece and Rome he scattered them all over the world and we are at the end of time the day of the Lord will not come except to come a falling away first Falling away is the word apostasis. Whenever I said that that Israel was, they began all of this apostasy and it has done nothing but multiplied. And here we are at the end of time and the apostasy is running roughshod throughout the world. Where this apostasy entered into the church, it came in under Constantine. Constantine was the emperor from 312 AD until he died back in the 330s. Back in Now here's why. Here's the major thing that's wrong with the world today and why God is fed up. He will get fed up with he got fed up with northern Israel and when he scattered them and stop them. He scattered northern Israel. When I say northern Israel, I'm talking about Israel. You had northern Israel, which was the ten northern tribes, and you had southern Israel, which was called Judah. Judah, and that was the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin. This thing that's happening in the world is Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism. This is how it happened. It's it started with the Roman Catholic Church. There is something called the Bill of Rights in our in our Constitution. It says that you have freedom of religion in America. That is an apostate doctrine. Freedom of religion. You did not have that in Israel in the Old Testament. If you thought you could change God's word and these people at the end of time, I believe were right at the end of everything because of this apostasy. Apostasis. Stasis means to stand or be upright and a man who was said to be standing or being upright in the first century was said to be bearing a cross. You had to be crucified on a cross. You had to be condemned to a cross. Condemned. So there's been a removal of standing upright. And from stasis, you get the word staros, which is the word cross. There has been a removal of the daily cross. That goes along with Catholicism, how it began, how Catholicism began. And it began 
very seriously with an edict. It's called an edict of toleration. And this is what's wrong with the world today. An edict, when Israel was a nation, if you went after other gods the, or you preached any other doctrine than God's doctrine, the penalty was death. That's a fact. And this edict of toleration or the edict of Milan is something that Constantine, during the... Well, where's my... I'm looking for my deal. Oh, here it is. Constantine thought he was going to... All of the Caesars for about 200 years up to Constantine, they thought they were going to lose the empire to a bunch of barbarians. Uh, I call them barbarians. Rome was barbaric. Uh, they do it in a systematic way. And they were afraid they were going to lose the empire to these vandals, to the Visigoths, to the Ostrogoths to the Huns that came from the Far East, and they settled in Germany, to the Franks, the Saxons, the Angles. All of these barbaric people were coming in here. And the Visigoths were most barbaric of all of them. And they came down and headed towards, towards Constantine's Rome, and they were going to overthrow and all of these were sun and tree worshipers. The reason we know that is because Revelation 17 and 5 says Babylon was the mother of all idolatry. A mother gives birth and nurtures and feeds. Pornea is the word. Pornea. Uh, she was the mother of harlots. Pornay means idolatry. If she mothered it all, gave birth to it, nurtured it, all you have to do is go back to the foundation of Babylon and find out what she was founded on. And she was founded on this same thing, toleration. God says you cannot go after any other gods from the beginning. And they said, let us make us a name. This is their doctrine. Let us make us, Genesis 11 and 4, make us a, the word name is Shem. It means authority. We will make up our own doctrine, and we will make up our, what we want, and that will that will be a toleration opposed to God's doctrine. And Shem was God's, was God's prophet at that time. He was the second born of Noah. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. So what they did is they made them a tolerance doctrine. They're going to tolerate another authority, another name. And what they did, they started the virgin birth worship of paganism where that Attis was virgin born and all of these gods were virgin born and they were resurrected in the spring in the name of Ishtar or Easter and Easter is 
paganism, just like Christmas is paganism. All of this come out of out of paganism. So Constantine said, I'm going to lose the empire if I don't do something. These Goths and Visigoths and Saxons and Vandals and Franks were not under the rule of the Roman Empire. You see that pinkish, salmon-looking color? That's the only place the Roman Empire ruled. They did not rule these pagan people that were trying to rampage and attack the Roman Empire. So all of the Caesars for 200 years prior to Constantine, Constantine began to rule in 312 A.D. The first thing he did was issue. He said, if we don't do something, we've got to stop these people from rampaging. So he issued the Edict of Toleration or the Edict of Milan, and he said, we're going to let all of these pagans come into the church. They can bring their sun and tree gods in, and that's when he brought Christ's Mass and he just simply changed the Feast of Saturn, Feast of Saturn, into Christ Mass. And he issued that edict of toleration, and Christmas entered the church, and tolerance has been the problem all along. We will tolerate any new doctrine, you can call it Jesus, you can call it saved and salvation, we'll just make everything different. And that's what these preachers are doing today. Everyone, including Billy Graham, he preached, accept Christ, that's not true. Accept Christ is Roman Catholicism. The reason accept Christ was came into the church is really amazing how it came into the church. It came in because one of the English kings was a womanizer. That's exactly why it came in. When Henry VIII, he says he wanted a son to take over his throne. He had a son that wasn't, they believed he was possibly mentally deficient, and he didn't ever have a son that could take his throne. This was Henry VIII. Henry VIII. And he was married. Henry VIII. Henry VIII. I'll just put eighth. And he was married to Catherine of Aragon. Aragon was where she was from. But they usually took the town that they were from and called them by that last name. He was married to Catherine of Aragon, and she was in her 40s. She had stopped ovulating. She was gone through the change of life. And she couldn't have more children. She had not given him what he wanted. So he said, I won't. He was... He said he wanted an heir to his throne, but I believe he was just a womanizer. Because I don't know if you've seen pictures of Henry VIII. He was ugly as sin. The guy was just atrociously ugly, but he went around hunting these young women, and he found a young woman named Anne 
Bolin. And he said, I want her for my wife. And he and he told her that. Now you say, why would a young, good-looking woman uh, want an old man? He was king. He had all the money in the world and all the everything you would possibly want at that time. Why do you see these women, these young women, marrying these old billionaires? The money, the love of money. So Anne Boleyn consented. So what he did, he had Catherine beheaded. And he petitioned the Roman Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, Church, to allow him to divorce Catherine. They said no. So he files charges against her for sedition or whatever, has her beheaded, and then he marries this Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn cannot have the children he wants either, so he makes accusations against her and cuts her head off. What a guy. And he goes out and finds this woman, Jane Seymour. Has the same name as that actress in Hollywood. She's the one on those women's commercials that shows you what kind of powder you use for your face or whatever it is they do and he marries Jane Seymour after he puts to death Anne Boleyn well the whole point is without the without this he starts the Church of England as a divorced king and the Catholic Church, there's no way they would let you, they would allow you to divorce in the Catholic Church. Well, that's a good thing, but that's not, uh, that's not Bible. So he starts the Church of England, and he doesn't know anything else to do but keep Roman Catholic laws in his church. And he, and he comes up with with the uh, uh, all the rituals, the rituals of the Catholicism rituals, he keeps the incense. Some guy walks around, walks around swinging that incense like the Catholics do, and uh, he keeps his own form of the Pope, and he calls his head of the church the Archbishop. of Canterbury. And he kept the main thing that the Catholic Church was built upon. He kept the Mass in the Church. He kept the Mass. And the Mass is the focal point of all Roman Catholicism. All the Church of England is is a plastic Catholic Church. It's a synthetic, except he got to divorce his wives because he set that up as a rule in the Church of England. Church of England is called the Anglican Anglican Church, or Anglican means English. So it's the English Church, Church of England. That's what they call it, Church of England.
And you can divorce in that because he sets it up for his own benefit. Then the mass is where that they, that's the focal point. As I said, the mass has to do with Henry VIII being a womanizer. That's what it has to do with. That's how it came into America to the Baptist church. And the mass, they raise up the Eucharist. I've got a picture of it here, right here. They raise it up and they utter these words, hoc es corpus eum fili. That's the, that's the, and they say that turns into the literal body and blood of Christ. And they eat that because Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. The only thing that the Catholics missed is that it was against God's law for his people to eat human flesh and drink blood of any kind. So Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Eat flesh and drink blood was an ancient idiom of the Jews. Eat flesh and drink blood. Eat flesh and drink blood, you find that in Ezekiel, the 38th, uh, 39th chapter. You find it also in Revelation, Revelation, the 19th chapter, when the Bible says at the end of time in Revelation 39, God's going to call the fowls of the heaven he's going to say I prepared this supper table for you come and eat flesh and drink blood what does that mean it means there's going to be so many dead people millions of them or perhaps billions of them that there will not be enough enough funeral homes mortuaries to pick it up so God says I've got a way of cleaning up the earth I'll call the eagles and the vultures and the fowls of heaven that's why the Bible says when Christ comes back in that 24th chapter of Matthew and it says where the eagles are gathered together that will be at Christ's coming he's talking about he's going to kill so many people he says the same thing in Revelation 19 I'm going to call the fowls of the heaven to come and eat flesh and drink blood but that was against God's law for us to do that so what he's saying let me define that Jesus said my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink Indeed. To eat flesh and drink blood, all you have to do is to find the word indeed. It is the word A-L-E-T-H-E-S. It means of truth. How do you eat flesh and drink blood? When you tell people the truth about predestination, or you tell them the truth about the Christ's mass comes out of Roman Catholicism, and here's what it was about. It's the word indeed. Indeed is the, comes from the word A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, which is the word truth. And when you eat and drink of truth, it's in your heart, and it comes out your mouth, and people want to slaughter you for that, and we become lambs to the slaughter, according to Romans the 8th chapter. It's a form of lanthano, which means to hide or conceal. 
And when you place the alpha, when the alpha is front of a word as a negative particle and negates the word, it means not to hide anything, not to conceal anything. When you tell the people the truth about Roman Catholicism and about the edict of toleration, that's what's wrong with America. We tolerate every kind of doctrine. They didn't do that in the Old Testament. If you were caught preaching false doctrine in the Old Testament, you had to die. The only problem was that Israel was tolerating everything wrong. And what they do in the Roman Catholic Church, they still do this. They've modified it to some degree. But after they changed that, supposedly, that's called transubstantiation. Trans Transubstantiation is the changing of the bread and into the body and blood of Christ, and that's not true. Transubstantiation, and they have a term for that called the real presence. They say Christ is present in that mass and the Catholics, the way they used to do it, they had you walk down the aisle and accept the Eucharist. How that got into the Baptist church, the Methodist church came out of Methodist, came out of the Church of England. They brought that to America and inserted it into their worship. And the way they did that, they built altars down at the front of their church. Those are not altars. That's just their imagination. And they would have the people come down the aisle, kneel down at those altars, and they would, the Methodists put their spin on it. They just spun it into, changed it. They said you had to walk down the aisle get down at one of those altars they had a little fenced-in area and you could cry in agony half the night trying to accept Christ into your life. It bled over to the Baptist church. It bled over to the Baptist church and the Baptists have these long invitation hymns asking people to come and accept Christ. Fifteen verses of just as I am, another ten of almost persuaded, maybe another five or eight of softly and tenderly, begging people to come down an aisle and accept Christ, which is Roman Catholic. Good night. And it don't matter whether you believe that or not, that's the truth. And what that is, that is tolerance. And what we've come to in America, men say they can tolerate any doctrine as long as it's got the name of Jesus in it, as long as you're saying whatever, whatever makes people feel good. Well, that's not true. Now, I've been talking about these men. There's a word in the Old Testament all of these people from Kenneth Copeland, Fred Price, T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dollar, Joyce Myers, and the list goes on and on. Everyone in the charismatic movement, they're saying all these doctrines that are absolutely not true. 
they talk about Billy Graham said accept Christ accept Christ he said sinner's prayer for salvation the Bible teaches against that sinner's prayer the Bible says the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God the word receive is the word dekomai it means to reach out the ten fingers dekomai no, D-E-C-H-O. Dekomai. Dek is the word ten in the Greek. Dek. Dekomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that has been given. A decade is ten years. So reaching out the ten fingers to accept an offer that has been given. The Bible says men who are dead in their sin do not accept anything spiritual. That was a Billy Graham apostasy. Boy, that makes people so mad when you say Billy Graham was a false teacher. He was. He puzzled me from the first time I saw him. My father and all of his Baptist preacher friends kept talking about this new, young, powerful preacher named Billy Graham. 1951, my father said, we're going to go out to Will Rogers Coliseum. We're going to see this man preach. I'd never seen him before. But I saw him in 1951, and the place was packed. And he got up there. I kept waiting for some miraculous man to say something. And I remember sitting there and leaning forward thinking, he sounds like Daddy. He sounds like all of Daddy's friends talking about accept Christ and pray the sinner's prayer. At that time, I was so uneducated, I believed that. I didn't know that you had to repent, daily cross, death to self, self-denial. I didn't know that I was already a believer. So when my father started preaching, he sets up tents all around Fort Worth and the little towns outside of Fort Worth in 1915, 51, and starts preaching, accept Christ as your personal Savior, because he heard Billy Graham say it. And they preach sinner's prayer. The Bible says... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him and whom they've not believed? Belief is the method of salvation, but there's none that seeketh after God. Therefore, God has to put belief or faith in a person's heart. Faith is the noun. Belief is the verb form of it. Pistis and pistuo. P-I-S-T-I-S and P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Pist. E-U-O and pist, P-I-S-T, is the stem of the word that founds the word. So it's belief. Now, I'm talking about all the things that these guys are saying. The charismatics are talking about how God wants everybody to be wealthy and rich. And that's not true. If I believed that, I would go to Calcutta, India, where there's a million people lying in the streets and tell them all you have to do is say it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, and you get to have lots of money, and you have a new Cadillac overnight. It's not true. We have permitted all these guys. Let me give you something here. This is a paper that I got off the Internet, and it's about the sinner's prayer. And the writer here says no one in the Bible ever prayed for their initial salvation. You will call after you believe, but that is not your initial salvation. Then he says, C.S. Lewis, 
a famous writer used the term to describe the sinner's prayer as a great cataract of nonsense to describe how people use a modern idea to construe biblical theology concerning the sinner's prayer. Today, hundreds of millions hold a belief system and salvation practice that no one had ever held until relatively recently the notion that no one can pray Jesus into his or her heart and that baptism is merely an outward sign or actually late development. The prayer itself dates to Billy Sunday, a preacher in the early 1900s. The basis for talking in prayer for salvation goes back several hundred years. And then he goes into an appeal that they used to make. He goes into the men that propagated this more than anybody else. He says, many have claimed this as the basis of their salvation. It actually leads people away with a false sense of, of commitment. How did the process of rebirth, which Jesus spoke of in John 3, evolve into praying him into one's heart? I believe it was an error germinating shortly after the Reformation, which eventually caused great ruin and dismay in Christendom, Therefore, a great cataract of nonsense. That's what the sinner's prayer for salvation is. That's what accept Christ is. And that is what let Jesus come into your heart is. It's false doctrine according to the Bible itself. Then he goes on to say, speaking of passages of Scripture, the passage in Revelation three fourteen through 20, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and sup with him and he with me. He was not talking to sinners dead in their sin. He was talking to an apostate church. Nobody even looks at that. This passage was written explicitly for lukewarm Christians, not for sinners. Now consider how a lecturer named John Webb misused this passage, and he goes how they goes in how they misuse it. Then he says, Cane Ridge. In eighteen oh one there was a sensational revival in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Allegedly people barked and rolled over in the aisles and became delirious because there were long periods without food in the intense heat. It resulted in extreme use and, and abuse of emotions as thousands left Kentucky with wild notions about rebirth. Today it is generally viewed as a mockery to Christianity. And these excessive uses came about one who witnessed such 19th century hysteria was J.V. Combs who complained of the technique. Then he talks about Charles Finney, a man that... Charles Finney is a very popular 1800s preacher. Mr. Finney, he's the guy that propagated free will and accept Christ more than anyone back in that damn time. It wasn't until about 1835 that Charles Gratison Finney from 1792 to 17 to 1875 emerged 
to champion the system utilized by Eliezer Wheelock. Shortly after his own conversion, he left his law practice and became a minister, a lecturer, a professor, and traveling revivalist. He took the mourner's seat practice where they would come down and mourn at the bench on the front of the church, which he called the anxious seat, and developed a theological system around it. Finney was straightforward about his purpose of this technique and wrote the following comment near the end of his life. The church has always felt it necessary to have something of this kind to answer this very purpose. In the days of the apostles, baptism answered this purpose. The gospel was preached to the people, and then all those who were willing to be set aside, be on the side of Christ, were called out to be baptized, to hold the place that the anxious seat does now seat does now as a public manifestation of their determination to be Christians. Finney made many enemies because of this innovation. The anxious seat practice was considered to be a psychological technique that manipulated people to make a premature profession of faith. It was considered to be an emotional conversion influenced by some preacher's animal magnetism. Certainly it was a precursor to the techniques used by many 20th century evangelists. Then he goes into, in opposition to Finney's movement, John Nevin, a Protestant minister, wrote a book called The Anxious Bench. That was just a place they would come and mourn and agonize over trying to accept Christ. He tended to protect the dominations of this novel deviation. He called Finney's new measure heresy, a babble of extravagance, fanaticism, and quackery. Well, that's what he was. He also said, with a whirlwind in full view, we may be exhorted reasonably to consider and stand back from this destructive path. Accept Christ and down at a mourner's bench in the front, walking down the aisle, is destructive. And I can tell you about that personally. The system that Finney admitted is the vertebrae of the popular plan of salvation. It's the backbone of popular salvation. Made enormative in the 20th century by three bills. Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, and Bill Bright. Now he goes into Dwight L. Moody. Moody Institute in Chicago, Illinois. However, it wasn't until the end of Finney's life that it became evident that everyone and himself that the anxious bench approached led to a high fallout rate. In the 1860s, Dwight L. Moody, there's a church in Chicago called Moody Church, the pastor of the church today says he believes in predestination. You can hear him on the radio. But it's a light form of predestination. He's not real hard on it. It was the new apostle, talking about Moody, the new apostle in American evangelism, he took Finney's system and modified it instead of calling for public decision. He asked people to join him 
and his trained counselors in a room called the inquiry room. That's all an invention. What that is is toleration of a new doctrine. I don't like D.L. Moody. He was considered a great soul winner. I don't believe that. He was a great confuser. Though, though Moody's approach avoided some of the errors encountered in Finneyism, it was still a derivative of a stepchild anxious beach system. It was just reforming. And it reformed on to the Baptist church walking down the aisle. R.A. Torrey, another apostate preacher. I had books by R.A. Torrey and by and by Dwight L. Moody when I was a young preacher. Still got them somewhere in my library. Don't read them because I don't believe in them. R.A. Torrey succeeded Moody's Chicago-based ministry after his death in 1889. R.A. Torrey was very famous. I've been familiar with his name all my life. He modified Moody's approach to include on-the-spot street conversions. Torrey popularized the idea of instant salvation with no strings attached. That's ridiculous. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Even though he never intended as much, nevertheless received Christ now right here, became a part of the norm from that time on, it became more common to think of salvation outside of church or of the life of lordship. Then he goes into Billy Sunday. This is not something these guys invented today. It's been going on for several hundred years. It's actually it's been a part of the church getting apostate since the early, since actually Israel. It's the it's the toleration that's going on in America. And then he goes on to say, Meanwhile in Chicago, Billy Sunday, my father in, was enamored by Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a circus preacher. He would grab chairs up, hold them up in the air, and said one of the stupidest things. I've had a picture of him. It's not a picture. It's a cartoon characterization of him standing in a pulpit bent over with a chair up in the air holding it up and pointing at the congregation saying it's not hell it's not Hades it's H-E-L-L he was ignorant it's Hades that's the Greek word stupid man but you can't call Billy Sunday stupid to free will people they say well he was one of the great soul winners of all time no he wasn't Meanwhile, in Chicago, Billy Sunday, a well-known baseball player from Iowa, had been converted in Pacific Garden Missions. They have a radio program today on WNQM. The mission was Chicago's most successful implementation of Moody's scheme. Eventually, Sunday left baseball to preach. He had a great public charm and was one of the first to mix ideas of entertainment with the ministry. My father was struck by him. He wanted to be Billy Sunday. He's always pulling tricks in the pulpit. By the early 1900s, he had become, this is Billy Sunday, he had become a great, well-known crusade leader. In his crusade, he popularized Finney Moody methods and included a bit of a circus touch. 
after fine brimstone sermons, heavy moralist messages with political overtones and humorous, if not outlandish, behavior. I knew that from my father talking about him all the time. Salvation was offered. God doesn't offer salvation. He saves whom he pleases to save. He quickens whom he wills. After it was associated with a prayer, and at other times a person was told they were saved because they simply walked down his tabernacle sawdust trail. My father used to put up a tent and put sawdust all over the floor, and we had a heater over in the corner of the tent, and he called it the sawdust trail. That was invented by Billy Sunday. To the front where he was standing, in time people were told they were saved because they publicly shook Sunday's hand. Acknowledging that they would follow Christ, Billy Sunday died in 1935. That's four years before I was born. My father was a teenager at that point. That's why he was strung out on Billy Sunday. Leaving behind hundreds of his imitators, more than anything else, Billy Sunday helped crusades become acceptable to all denominations, which eventually led to a change in their theology. A change is their adaptation or their toleration. Large religious bodies sold out on their reservations toward these new conversion practices reap the benefits of potential converts from the crusades because of the allure of success. It's how many people would walk down the aisle, how many people we got saved. You don't get anybody saved. Both Dwight Moody and Billy Sunday admitted they were somewhat ignorant of church history. By the time they had already latched on to their perspectives, this is highly significant because the anxious seat phenomenon offshoot practices were not rooted in Scripture nor in the early church. Now, let me get to Billy Graham and Bill Bright. Billy Graham got a lot of his methods from Bill Bright. Perhaps you don't know who Bill Bright is. He was a famous leader in the Baptist Church. Billy Graham and his crusades were the next step in the evolution of things. Billy Graham was converted in 1936, right after the death of Billy Sunday, at a Sunday-style crusade, a Billy Sunday-style crusade. By the late 1940s, it was evident to many that Graham would be the champion of evangelism. He was going to be the biggest preacher, and he is the most well-known preacher in the last 2,000 years when it comes to secular preachers. His crusade summed up everything that had been done from the times of Charles Finney through Billy Sunday, except that he added respectability that some of the others lacked. I've got one of Billy Graham's books on his life. And he says he wanted to make sure he was preaching right. So when he was a young preacher, he would get it out in a boat and go out on the lake and practice his oratory to the birds and the fish that were around there. 
so that he could make sure he sounded right. That was his problem. He wanted to sound right and look respectable, and he did. His crusade summed up everything that had been done from the times of Charles Finney through Billy Sunday, talking about Billy Graham's, except that he added respectability that some of the others lacked. In the 1950 Graham's Crusade counselors were using a prayer that had been sporadically used for some time. It began with a prayer from his four steps to peace with God. Four steps. The original four-step formula came during Billy Sunday's era called in a track. Four things God wants you to know. Four things. That's ridiculous. I preach on all the things God wants you to know. And that is numerous. The altar call system of Graham had been refined by precise protocol of music, trained counselors, and a speaking technique all geared to help people accept Christ as Savior. And as I said, you can't do that when you're dead in sin. In the late 1950s, Bill Bright came up with the exact form of currently popular four spiritual laws so that average believer could take the crusade experience into the living room of their neighbor. Of course, this method ended with the sinner's prayer. You've got to twist somebody's arm behind, behind their back and say, repeat after me. Dear Lord, dear Lord, save me for Jesus' sake. Save me for Jesus' sake. Amen. That's a false doctrine and a sense of security that's not there. Those who responded to crusades and sermons could have the crusade experience at home when they prayed, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, etc. Later in 1977, Billy Graham published a now famous work entitled, you've heard me talk about it, How to Be Born Again. That's like saying to somebody, I know you're not alive yet and you haven't been born, but I'm looking out here in space at a spirit I'm going to tell you how you can be born and be conceived in your mother's womb. Okay, whoever you are. It's ridiculous. For all the scripture he used, he never once uses hallmark rebirth event in the second chapter of the book of Acts. The cataract blind spot kept him away from the most powerful conversion event in all scripture. It is my guess that its emphasis on baptism and repentance for the forgiveness, forgiveness of sin was incompatible with his approach because we believe baptism is blood. Then he goes into the living Bible being a corruption of the truth. And he says, uh, the phrases receive Christ and trust Jesus as your personal Savior filled airwaves, sermons, and books. James Kennedy's evangelism explosion counselor training program helped make this concept of conversion an international success. Missionaries everywhere were trained with the sinner's prayer, which is not true. Evangelism had the numbers, the money, the television personas of Graham and Kennedy, and any attempt to purport a different 
plan of salvation would be decried as cultic or heresy if you say anything else if you say predestination that you have to be predestined to conform to Christ's likeness and God has to put faith in your heart because there's none that seeketh after God they consider that heresy even though it's Bible most evangelicals are ignorant of where their practice came from most people in a Baptist church in a Presbyterian church in a church of Christ don't know where their where their theology came from it came from here or how Christians from other periods viewed biblical conversion. C.S. Lewis regarded it as chronological snobbery, and so do I. When we don't review our beliefs against the conclusions of others. Let me read what he said. Most of all, perhaps we need intimate knowledge of the past. Not that the past has any magic about it, but because... The past is where, this is the point that I'm trying to get at. The past, the, the apostasy began back here with Israel while they were a nation. They changed the word of God. The Bible says, meddle not, over there in Proverbs, it says, meddle not with those that are given to change. Change is the word of rob. It means to differentiate or change the word of God. That's what these guys have done. They've changed God's word to mean something it doesn't mean. There is no faith healing. There is no tongues. When you go to the, the original text, go to a strong concordance and it'll tell you what tongues is. Glossa and dialectos. Glossa and dialectos. Those are the two words for tongue. There was a different dialect in every city-state in the world. A city-state was where a city would rule to the border of some area. And they had a different dialect. That's like if it was Tennessee, it would have a different dialect of the Greek common street language to the boundary. And then it'd go into another dialect. And these were Jews from every nation under heaven. They said, how do we hear every man in our own dialect wherein we were born? It says tongue in the English Bible, but that's wrong. It's not jibber-jabber. And glossa comes from glossary, and that's the word that used in 1 Corinthians 14. The word dialect is not in 1 Corinthians 14. They were in the center of world travel in Corinth, and all kinds of people coming through there. And Paul said, I don't want anyone coming in speaking in a foreign language. That's what glossary is. But they don't care what these things mean. They have got an edict of toleration. They're tolerating all kinds of doctrine. There is no faith healing. Every time the Bible says, Thy faith has made thee whole. Every time whole is the word is the word sozo that is the word save faith saves I keep saying the woman with the issue of blood the Bible says thy faith has made thee whole it has saved you then he said go and be whole of thy plague that's the same English word but it's not the same Greek word go and be hugius 
They have changed that to saved. She wasn't saved because of her faith. She was saved because of her faith. She was not healed because of her faith. She Hygiene. We get the word hygiene from that. It means physically cleansed. Since I'm God, I'm a living God, you can't come in contact with me without being clean. But she was saved because of, she was whole because of her faith. Faith saves, it doesn't heal anyone. And I could go more and more into that. Let me, all this accept Christ is, this is not something Billy Graham started. It's something that was started hundreds of years. It goes back to Charles Finney. It goes up back to R.A. Torrey in the 1800s. And it's simply that tolerance of changing things, changing the Word of God. God delivers from these foolish people. Let me see if i got something else here. And this is what C.S. Lewis wrote. A man who has lived in many places, is not likely to be deceived by local heirs of a native village. People overseas are not as easily fooled about these doctrines as Americans are because it has been in America for hundreds of years. Billy Graham was just the finality on it. I don't see how Billy Graham went to heaven. He wasn't preaching daily cross, death to self, self-denial. I never heard him preach, you have to be hated by the world because that would go against himself. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it will hate you. It will persecute you. You have to become reproached. I use this word all the time. This is something nobody ever talks about. Blessed are ye when men shall reproach you. That is the word O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. It means infamous. Was Billy Graham infamous? No, he was the exact opposite of that. He was very famous. Infamous is the opposite of famous. The Bible says, War to you when all men speak well of you. Did the world speak well of Billy Graham? There's an old commercial on TV. Nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. Well, that's the way Billy Graham is. Nobody doesn't like Billy Graham except me and anybody else who knows the truth. We don't like Billy Graham. But he sure was handsome. He sure had a big round tone. A big round tone. He practiced that out on the lake preaching to the wild birds and the fish. It's just because he practiced that and he sounded good and looked good. Have you not learned yet? Just because somebody looks good, sounds good, and is popular, it doesn't mean they're into truth. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. He doesn't care how handsome somebody is. If they're handsome, he made them handsome. And he just may have made them handsome so they can be winners in the world, so they can be losers in eternity. If you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God. Was Billy Graham a philia of the world? Or philos? Was he affectionate to the world? He loved all the presidents. He loved the Pope, who liked to eat flesh and drink blood. He acted like there was nothing. There's a book called... Smoke screens. Everybody needs to get that. 
it tells the truth about Billy Graham. There's another book. It's called Billy Graham and His Friends. They, the person that wrote that, did all this tremendous research. Billy Graham put his approval on the World Council of Churches, and they did not even believe in the virgin birth. He put it on out-and-out atheists. All the presidents liked him except Harry Truman. Harry Truman said he was a phony. And Harry Truman was right. It's unbelievable what we have accepted in America. People say, Jim Brown, you're bitter and you don't like anybody. I don't like anybody that's lying. And that's just about every preacher that's out there. I listen to preachers. I have spent 63 years researching Bible in depth. And... I don't hear any preachers that know hardly anything about the Bible. John MacArthur is the only one that's kind of straddling the fence. He knows Christmas is pagan, but he does it anyway. He knows that Easter's pagan, but he does it anyway. He says, I know I'm familiar with the Feast of Saturn, with the Saturnalia. I'm familiar with December the 25th of the birthday of Mithra, the chief god of the ancient Roman world. Well, the Bible says, therefore shall you keep mine ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs. God says, don't keep their customs. He didn't say, don't worship their gods. He knew that Israel knew there were no other gods. He said, don't keep their rituals. Their rituals will lead you away into captivity. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. It'll lead you away. It'll spoil you. The word spoil, pseudogogeo, means to lead you captive back to darkness. What do you mean? After having read, dug out all these Greek words, I can listen to a preacher, and as fast as he talks, I'm going, no, 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 no. Later, in 1977, Billy Graham published a now famous work, How to Be Born Again. For all the scripture he used, he never uses the hallmark rebirth event in chapter second chapter of the book of Acts. Now, he goes on to say, missionaries everywhere were trained with the sinner's prayer theology. I couldn't be a missionary anywhere. I'd be telling the people, you either are elect or you're, or you're not from the foundation of the world. Evangelism had the numbers, the money, the television personas of Graham and Kennedy, talking about D. James Kennedy, any attempt to purport a different plan of salvation would be decried as culting and heresy. They would call me a cult and heresy. And they're the ones that's lying. Then I went into C.S. Lewis' words. Let me see if i got anything else that needs to be read. No, I read, I read all I want out of this paper. What I'm simply, what are these guys doing and what are they being that changed the Word of God? They're, well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, that they are hucksters. Hucksters. 
Look over there in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. This is what they are. They're trying to sell tapes, DVDs. They're trying to sell you on that you could be rich if you send them money. It's just not true. What are they going to do with the coronavirus going full-fledged throughout the world? If they really believe, Kenneth Copeland was on the TV cursing the coronavirus. The coronavirus is the judgment of God. He's cursing God's judgment. He reminds me of a verse over here in Revelation 16. It's talking about, people say, the earth's not heating up, and the Bible says it is. It says at the end of time, this is going to be happening. In Revelation 16, this is what Copeners reminded me of. People have, they're bonding together in their free will, not in their sovereignty will of God. They're bonding together and say, we can conquer this, we're in this together. Oh, if you die, you're in that, you're in that with them, and you're going to die with them. You're not in it together. It's all individual. I've been told by people, why didn't Kenneth Copeland dead? God just well may be reserving him for his judgment when he winds up like a big league pitcher and throws Copeland into hell at a thousand miles an hour. Do I believe he's going to heaven? No, sir, I don't believe it. He don't believe in a daily cross death to self-denial. He doesn't believe in repentance, being turned and think differently. All he thinks about is money. Copen is their leader since Oral Roberts has died. He's the guy responsible for pulling most of them into that charismatic movement. Over in the 16th chapter of Acts, this is what this is what they remind me of. I'll read in verse 8 and 9. And the fourth angel poured his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire at this, at this end of time. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. Name is the word onoma. Onoma. It means authority. What Copeland is doing, cursing the, corona, the coronavirus, he's blaspheming the authority of God. And it goes on to say in that verse, they blaspheme the name of God which hath power over these plagues, the coronavirus. And they repented not to give him glory. God has power over the plagues. The coronavirus, some try to say it was man-made, it may have been. But the point is, God put it in their minds to do it, and then he's spreading it. God works all things after the counsel of his own will. And it, let me read that next verse. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. Darkness means the opposite of light or the opposite of truth. It's the absence of truth. And they gnawed their tongues for the pain. And they repented not 
So they curse God for the plagues like Copeland is cursing the coronavirus. I'd be bowing to it. If you really believe you got power over the coronavirus, he said, you be gone. How you get out of here commanding the virus or commanding the judgment of God to go. That would terrify me to do that. No, the virus is here because God wants it here. And the reason for it is the tolerance of false doctrine since back to Israel when they went after Baal and the grove. And I'll say this one more time. Baal and the grove since Babylon was the mother of all idolatry. Baal and the grove was the sun and tree God. That was the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass. It was the God's of the Goths and the Visigoths. It was the same thing Israel was worshiping. It was the gods of the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, the Franks, the Saxons. These people were not being ruled by the Roman Empire, which was on the boundary of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, where was I? All right. Well, I was going to take you to 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. Here's what these guys are. They've changed the word of God. We have to be at the end of time because the great apostasy is here. Apostasis. There's been a removal of standing upright. If you don't stand upright, you're not preaching the truth. You're not telling people, the world, the truth of God's word. And Billy Graham wasn't the start of it. He was... He was capping the end of it here at the end of time. He built up Accept Christ, which is the Roman Catholic Mass of accepting the Eucharist. They would march down the aisle, kneel down, stick their tongue out, and the priest would place the Eucharist on their tongue. They were walking down the aisle to accept Eucharist or accept Christ. That's where it comes from. There's nothing that puzzled me more than that when I was a little boy. I kept thinking, Daddy keeps giving these long invitation hymns and says, you got to walk down the aisle and accept Christ. And I don't know how to accept him. I want to. I can't figure out how do you do it. It's something you do by going, uh, I'm accepting him. If you accept Christ, you only do it after you're born again. And then you start accepting everything he said. You start reading, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You say, that's true. I don't even know what it means as a young baby believer, but it has to be the truth. And every time you see predestinate, you say, I need to study that to find out what that means. When the Bible says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I don't know what that means. What is a cross? What does it mean to deny self? I've got to learn what deny self means. What does it mean to take up my cross and follow? What does follow Christ mean? Do I find some path where he's walked on it and I walk down that path? Follow akulatheo means to be in the same way with. And the way is narrow. And narrow, narrow and follow are related to each other. Follow, akulatheo, A-K-O-U-L-A-T-H-E-O. 
to be in the same way with. There's only two ways. And Jesus is in the narrow way, the Lebo way. The Lebo, he comes toward the ellipsis, which is the word tribulation. We must do much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. So the tribulation way is the narrow way, and you have to be going through tribulation to be a believer. He that beareth not his cross and followeth after me cannot be my disciple. How are you going to know the way if you're not a disciple, a mathetes, a learner? How are you going to be obedient to God? How can you be obedient to God and learn? Mathetes is the word disciple means a learner and but you can't be a learner without a daily cross you got to crucify self and tell people the truth and they'll kill you for it or you'll suffer a death thanos t-h-a-n-a-t-o-s which means separation it does not mean annihilation it means to separate people will separate from you you tell them about christmas being pagan that easter's pagan that you can't accept Christ and press sinner's prayer, but they have to repent. But they can't even do that. If they're going to go to heaven, there's none that seeketh after God. If God doesn't pick them out before the world began and put faith in their heart, they can't repent. You can't just you can tell somebody you have to repent in order to go to heaven, but you can't unless you belong to God. Now, here's what these guys are. In 2 Corinthians, here in the, uh, I got over in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, in verse 17. For we are not as many. He's talking about the many that enter into the wide gate that leads to destruction. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, they're corrupting it by adding, by changing it, by tolerating accept Christ and sinner's prayer and Christ's mass. I'm always preaching against that. I have people write me and say, you just had one lady write me and say, you're just preaching gloom and doom. That's right. I feel like Jeremiah, when he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem, you can just call, Jer- call me Jeremiah for sure. He's walking through the streets of Jerusalem and telling them, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. He's going to destroy this city and this nation. And they did just like you, who are that person is, I'm talking to. They said, he's just preaching doom and gloom, and he's disheartening all the people. King Zedekiah, can we kill him? Would you like to kill Jim Brown? You can kill the messenger, but you can't kill the message. And people that want to say, you're preaching gloom and doom. Gloom and doom is upon us, but it's not gloom and doom upon the believer. We're protesting people who said, where is your joy? I've had people say, don't you ever preach joy? Joy is the word kara. It is a form of charis. Which is the word grace. It means unmerited favor. And God had unmerited favor 
when he here's another word c-h-a-r-i-z-o-m-a-i-charizomai unto you it is given given it's a form of grace it's a form of joy unto you it is given in the behalf of christ here is where our joy is not only to believe upon him but also to suffer for his sake. It has been given to you to suffer for Christ and people to call you names and say, you're just a doom and gloom preacher. I'm trying to tell you we're close to the end of time. I believe it's just around the corner. I don't know that this virus is going to stop. If it does stop, God will send something else. He's... When you read the 24th chapter of Matthew or the 21st chapter of, of Luke or the, 14th, or the 13th chapter of Mark, he's talking about the end of time. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Because of, the, because of men's desire for self, the love of many will wax cold. Love is the word agape. It means walking the commandments of God. Walking in God's commandments are getting cold because of tolerance. We're tolerating. They're saying you can't preach against these other preachers' doctrines. What gets me, this really astounds me. They're telling me I can't preach against Kenneth Copeland or Billy Graham or the Baptist or the Pentecostals or Charismatics, and they're all lying. But they don't even agree with each other as to the method of salvation. The Baptists don't agree with the Pentecostals. The Baptists won't tell you, but they don't believe in tongues. The Baptists won't tell you, but they don't believe in faith healing. They are gutless. They will stand up and say, we don't believe that. They don't have any guts. No fortitude. They just let everybody get by with their lying. The Baptist, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest denomination in the world, largest Protestant denomination in the world. If the Southern Baptist Convention would rise up and take a stand for these hardline truths, it would affect the whole world. But they won't. They just don't believe much of anything anymore. They all believe it except Christ. Let Jesus come into your heart. Oh, that's not true. You're dead in sin. You can't let God do anything. Our God sits in the heavens. He done whatsoever he has pleased. He quickens whom he wills to quicken. Makes them alive. But the Baptists don't take a stand for anything anymore. The Baptists did not believe in Christmas or Christ's Mass 150 years ago. Charles Spurgeon, the most famous Baptist in the 1800s, said Christmas was a lump of wickedness. Lordy mercy. So he says, verse 17 of chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, We are not as many which corrupt the word of God. The word corrupt, kepeluo, K-E-P-E-L-E-U-O. Hekepilu means to be a huckster. 
H-U-C-K-S-T-E-R. Every time I hear huckster, I, I think of going to the fair in the early 50s and some guy would get up there and he'd say, one thin dime for one-tenth of a dollar. Of course, it costs more than a dime nowadays. You can come into this sideshow and see a baby with two heads. That's a huckster. Let me read huckster to you. Y'all just hold on a second. I'm going to read it to you. The Bible says these men that corrupt the word of God are hucksters. They corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. He said, that's what we do. Let me look at huckster. I hadn't planned on this. That's why I'm having to open up. It'll just show you in a dictionary what these things mean. Huckster. To peddle. To sell Jesus. It means a one who hawk. It's a hawker, one who hawks the word of God. A peddler or a hawker of wares, fruits, and vegetables. An aggressive or haggling merchant, one who uses questionable methods. A person engaged in advertising for the mass media, one who reaches out for a popular mass. To peddle or sell, to sell or advertise in an aggressive, questionable way. I don't believe in being aggressive. I believe in telling people the truth. And the Bible says the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made even both of them. And you don't have to try to convince anybody because they were either elect from the foundation of the world or they were not. He had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. Now, these guys, I've gone through. How much time do I have, Mike? I was going to get into more of these. These people are hucksters. They're peddling Jesus. But it's not Jesus they're peddling. It's the other Jesus that they're peddling. What's wrong with the world? We're tolerant of all religions. When the Bible says, if anyone preaches otherwise and consents not to wholesome words, they are proud Conceited, they know nothing, they're destitute of the truth. The Bible goes on to say in that sixth chapter of First Timothy that they suppose these guys that know nothing, do they know anything? I don't hear any of them. T.D. Jakes is just a, he is a huckster. He just scoots across the floor and goes, You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? You don't know. I'm trying to tell you. He's an ignorant man. They've all got their personality ways. They know nothing. This is in First Timothy, the sixth chapter. They know nothing. They're proud. Proud is the word tufao. It means it comes from the word tuflos, 
And all of these charismatics and Baptists today, they're blind and they can't see. And they know nothing. They're destitute, proud, means conceited. This word to follow means conceited. That's why they won't listen to you. They're not going to listen if they don't have ears to hear. God has to give the hearing ear. They're not going to listen. I don't try to convert anybody. I tell everybody that I run across, I tell them the truth. If I get any opportunity, I just say, here's the truth. Boom. I'll say, Christmas is pagan. Did you know that? Did you know it was against the law to celebrate it 300 years ago in America? Did you know that this doctrine of accept Christ was propagated by Billy Graham more than anybody in the world, and he got it from Ari Tor and Charles Finney and Billy Sunday? That's where he got it from. It was a twisting, a tolerating of truth, of untruth. It was just tolerance. You can't just tolerate something and say, we'll accept it because the majority of the world is saying it. Only few are going to find this narrow way. Few, not many. And they suppose they're in... They suppose that gain, this sounds exactly like the charismatics, that gain is godliness. That word suppose is the word nomizo. It is a form of the word nomos. Nomos is the Greek word for law. They have legalized, it means to legalize money as godly, as being godly. Kenneth Copeland would say, look how God has blessed me. If somebody says God has blessed me because I got lots of money, that's not a blessing. God gave Bill Gates enough money that he can't repent of. When you're worth $96 billion dollars, that's too much to repent of. You can't. Oh, he may come up and say, I'm going to see if we can't do something about the coronavirus and I'm going to donate so much to so much to curing it. Oprah Winfrey says she wants to give $10 million to cure coronavirus. That's like me giving a dollar. If she's worth somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars. That's a billion dollars right there. Let's say one billion. And she's going to give 10 million. She's going to give 10 million. What that is. That's one one-thousandth of what she's worth if she's worth a billion. One one-thousandth. That ain't much. She's, that's not even 10% of what she's worth. That's one one-thousandth. A dollar out of every thousand that she owns at a billion dollars. And a billion dollars is a thousand million. 
she and she's going to give ten thousand. Don't mean nothing. It's like me taking a five dollar bill out and say, "I want to give this to the cure." These guys, I wanted to read that to you about the accept Christ. See, most of you are not even familiar with Charles Finney or R.A. Torrey. I've been hearing about them since I was a boy. Because my father being a Baptist preacher, and he had some of their books in his little small library. I was going to get into the word forward. How much time do I have, Mike? Five minutes. I'm going to get back into the word froward. These men are froward. There are several words, about ten words, for the word froward in the Old Testament. I can't remember all of them, but Ikisheth, I-Q-Q-I-S-H, Ikish, uh, several other words. They mean to twist to twist, distort, to distort the Word of God, to twist the Word of God. It means anything, and all of these words are related in meaning because they all mean to pervert or twist, or as Second Peter says, they wrench the Word of God. Wrench or they torture God's word. And the Bible says they do it because they are unlearned. They're unlearned. And the word is amathes, A-M-A-T-H-E-S. And amathes is a form of mathetes. with the eye for privilege in front of it. Mathetes is the word learner or disciple. And the Bible says you cannot be a disciple of Christ. Luke 14, 27, you can't be a disciple or you can't learn the word of God without a daily cross. You've got to crucify yourself and say, I'm going to believe what God says. I don't matter what it costs me. I want the truth at any cost. I don't care if it costs my life. I want the truth. Do you want it that bad? And I was going to go into this. The Bible speaks of the froward man. I got so much to say. Oh, let me give you one verse here in Proverbs 6 and 12. The Bible says these men that are forward, they are devils. If you twist the word of God, which they do, look at Proverbs 12. Proverbs 6 and 12. And when you look up forward, anybody who twists the word of God, if you go into Proverbs, get every time the word forward is there, it means to twist or pervert or be a huckster and sell. What they're selling is the other Jesus. They're not selling Jesus. Paul said there's another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel that I have not preached. And he says in Proverbs 6, Proverbs 6 and verse 12. 
a naughty person. Naughty is the word Belial. It's another name for Satan. B B E L I Y A A L. B E L I Y A A L. It's a form of the same word that that the writer of First Samuel in the third chapter where he calls the sons of Eli, the high priest, sons of Belial. And they offered strange sacrifice to God and they took bribes at the temple of God and God killed Nadab, not Nadab, uh, Hophni and Phinehas. God killed them for being like Belial and Phinehas. And so here's what he says. He says, he says, a naughty person or one who is like Belial, a wicked man, walketh with a froward, a twisted mouth. Froward is that word. Aven in this word, it means worthless. They are worthless men and they're children of Satan. Same thing that Jesus called the Pharisees, children of hell. He winketh with his eyes, talking about a froward man. It means to close the eye at truth. He speaketh with his feet. He, tre he teacheth with his fingers. He just says, you know, uh, he's nervous and he's trying to get something over to you that's not true. I'm out of time. I'll come back. And I, it takes a long time to tell you how much. If I go through all these words for forward, it'll show you what kind of person these guys are. I don't like any of them. I'm not even supposed to like them. I don't like Kenneth Copeland or T.D. Jakes. They, they, what they're doing, seducing the children of God, or a lot of the people they're seducing are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. They're preaching false doctrine and lies. People say, you're not supposed to correct people. You certainly are. That's the word rebuke. I'm out of time. I'll come back next week and resume this. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, I don't even know what to ask for anymore. Just give me health and strength to continue this, Lord. Deliver me from everything that would stop me from doing this. And I'll do this till I'm old and grayer than gray. I'll keep preaching the rest of my life as long as I live. Thank you for your word and for truth. God, help me to continue help this church strengthen them we'll praise you for everything lead us to that family strengthen the church that they're able to stand supply all of our needs and extend this all that you are willing to do to tv
across the country and to the internet. And we'll give you praise for everything, everything, good and bad. But the bad is for our good. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I wanted to read that to y'all about the accept Christ and where it started. It's unbelievable. Billy Graham was more evil than people have any idea.